No, it's really interesting to think about the idea of poem as an artifact, especially when um, it's if we're sent. Um, when we're so, oh, okay, I, I think you know what. Let's come back and talk about artifacts, um, Ray. Right, we'll, 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 we'll take a walk around the block. A little, yeah, <laughs> gaze out the window. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Living Writers today, Raymond McDaniel. Welcome back. If you're just joining us today on Living Writers, uh, lucky to have Ray McDaniel in the studio. Uh, his new book, Salt Water Empire. Uh, we were just talking uh, before the break about artifacts, because um, Ray brought that up, and um, and I love that. I love that idea as poem because when you kind of think of the history of poems and poetry it's very oral like it's 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 coming to you maybe not with a body or and and usually when you think of artifacts objects or a physical with a physical presence um and and uh, and now with sort of the the world um, that you're very involved in with constant critic and the blogging and of the of the internet and the computer, sometimes it feels like the physical world mm-hmm. is disappearing even more. And so I love that you're talking about the objectness <laughs> of a poem or of a of a collection of poems that make a book or bounded or unbounded well there's you know there's the way in which uh, in which though the book or the page itself is a literal object uh, but I I also like to think of it in terms of its uh, of its 
it's potentially uh, infinite utility for whoever comes across it. Like it's life? Would that is that what you mean by no, that? No, it's uh, it's it's life inheres in the use that is made of it. Um, so I think I think there's uh, there's a bad strange and a good strange that comes with uh, that comes with poetry. You know, the bad strange is the poetry nausea or poetry anxiety, as I, as I define it to my students. The sense that uh, a poet that a poem or poetry in general requires a very specific form of understanding mm. in order to be able to appreciate it all. And this uh, this winds people up in a really unfortunate way. And what uh, what kind of po- poisons people against poetry in some ways? Sure, it fills them it fills them with uh, with a kind of dread, uh, as if the They're poetry, not worthy. yeah, uh, as if the poetry uh, bespeaks a degree of knowledge that because they do not have speaks poorly of them. Every poem in that sense becomes an insult. Uh, but the the good strange, if you can kind of or if you can kind of erase the uh, the bad strangeness. The good strangeness is the way in which the the way in which the the reader or the person who encounters the poem can inject into that object something that changes it or alchemizes it, and then the object becomes a part of them. So every poem, in that sense, even words and poems, images, uh, phrases, and ideas, they're all objects and devices by which you can make more of yourself. Mm, mm. Uh, and in that sense, you know, the only the only ethical uh, the only ethical uh, intuition I have about that is that if you are going to be making more of yourself, do you want to make more of what you already have, or do you want to m- make things? that were previously unimaginable to you. Mm. Yeah. To have things uh, sort of wrenched uh, in a so, good way. Yeah, no, I have a very, in that sense, as a reader, I've, I'm, uh, I'm deeply pragmatic and utilitarian. I, I read as widely as I can because that affords me the greatest opportunity to find and use things mm. for my own purposes. And it's good. It's sort of as a, uh, almost like... Often people who who work in the public eye, as you do, uh, with the constant oh, critic, or, or idea. well, well, as a, because in a way you're like this this gatekeeper. And if you did just have, if you didn't have this um, this ethos to to read widely and to, and almost randomly, as you said, to take books on randomly and to to challenge yourself to talk about them, it could be that people were just then reading what you were reading instead of also branching out. So I think that's like a a, a good bonus because you know hope, like movie critics people follow certain movies you know just to make right. it mundane <laughs> less less petty uh, i think i mean I'm, I'm sure in some ways anyone who uh anyone whose life is so empty that they've paid close attention to what it is that i've done um <laughs> be able to predict the kinds of things that i'm curious about or what i'm likely to say but i hope that they wouldn't be able to predict what i'm going to say it about and so I'm not, you know, I'm not a gatekeeper in that sense. I'm just a corridor. I'm just a means by which people can get to some other thing. Mm. And all I and all I'm offering them is uh, a way of considering the the place at which they've arrived. And and is that how you see um, also? The work that you do for for introducing when you're talking about people when they come to Shaman Drum Bookshop, um, that's one of another thing that you're known for. 
um, are your introductions. Yeah. yeah, as I've said before, it's a small, humiliating niche market, but it's all mine. <laughs> um, and 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 so what? Yeah, what does that what does that even mean to you that this is something that you that you do and that that you take a, a certain uh, pride in crafting? Um, before well, you introduce that's, people, that's a it's it's a very it's a very simple thing. I mean, it's uh, it's very for me at least it's very basic graciousness. You know, if you are going to invite someone into your home and the bookstore is a kind of home, you want them to understand that you have invited them there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, the least that anyone can do if you are going to have someone read in your store is familiarize yourself with their work. And you can't do that without reading it, at least reading enough of it to be able to speak, you know, to be able to speak to it. Uh, and then, you know, then there's also a level of graciousness that is that, you know, because when, when someone gives a reading, it's meant to be a celebration of the work that they've put in to, uh, to making that book. And it seems to me that there's an obligation on the part of the introducer to not celebrate that work in an impersonal way, mm-hmm. but to try to understand what the writer wanted to do and to represent not just the book, but the hope and the belief and, uh, and the desire that went into its making. Mm. And, that's, and that's really all an introduction requires. I mean, I've had to introduce plenty of books I didn't like, but I, you know, but I would refuse to introduce a book with which I couldn't even empathize. It's interesting that you mention and hope too, because uh, that brings up something that I wanted to talk to talk about with you. Um, on the back of Saltwater Empire, uh, <laughs> I am I am gonna cure <laughs> that. <laughs> Did you have a drowning incident when you were a child? <laughs> were you bitten by the ocean when you were a little girl? I love the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Florida. <laughs> um, well, I had a couple of questions about this from Saltwater Empire on the back of the book. Um, there's that's you know the summary the, the the summary on the back they offer and I'm I'm reading here they offer an uncommonly perceptive look at cataclysmic disaster, human cruelty, and cultural resilience. And I was thinking about that triad of, of words there mm. to that that are talking about this book of poems, um, cataclysmic disaster and human cruelty. <laughs> That's those are <laughs> God. That's you know. <laughs> take this book to the beach, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, no, don't. It's salt water. There's disaster ahead. Um, but then, so I think it's interesting that then on the end of the the triad, there's like cultural resiliency. So is that a necessary? Is hope that you're just actually just mentioned too? Is that like a necessary uh, component in order to? To even is it a balancing or is it something that we that naturally occurs because as humans we are cruel but we also need hope. What what do you think about that? Because that's like a big thing on the back of your well kind hmm. of that's a big question. Uh, enduring cruelty is presents uh, presents a challenge, you know, and the the problem of hope is that you don't. 
you don't want your commitment to hope to force or necessitate error, right? So uh, hope can be very dangerous in that regard. Uh, so you know, in the, in the context of this particular book, I mean, one of the things that I you know that I find particularly heartbreaking about the you know the fate of the fate of the city, the fate of New Orleans, is that many of those people who uh, were at greatest risk and who have suffered the most are people who believe the most profoundly in uh, in their citizenship. You know, they believe that if they worked hard, uh, saved money, owned a home, were good citizens, that the city and the state and the country would give them what was promised by that hope. Now, that's a complicated thing. Like the pursuit um, of happiness. Perhaps. Well, just you know the uh, the basic obligations that there you know that the community, uh, the local community, and the community at large uh, would have to those people. Uh, now, you could argue that that hope was a profound mistake, and that if they had been more cynical, it would have brought them uh, it would have brought them to a place where they would have been more realistic. Had they been more realistic. Uh, then perhaps they would have been better prepared. Now, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that's, uh, that in itself is a deeply cynical argument. I don't believe that just because people are sometimes punished because of their hope, that it's wrong for them to persist in believing that things can be different. Because if they don't believe that things can be different, it begins to erode their ability to make ethical decisions. Right? Uh, the whole the whole idea of injustice disappears in uh, in the real politic of hopelessness. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know, as uh, as heartbreaking as it is to see people manipulated and deceived and betrayed and abandoned, you cannot blame them for being the object of that kind of cruelty and mistreatment simply because they acted as if people were capable of decency. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Some kind of sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I mean, really, and also, I mean, not to sound cheesy after all of the things that you've just said, but without hope, I mean, that's like... the. The, what's being human, like what what makes us human, then that would be destroyed, whatever that is, I would think. Um, well, there's a reason you persist. There, you know, there, uh, there has to be. Wow. Um, I wonder, so, so when you're, you're talking about like these, these people and you're, you're talking about them as a they, right? So then it seems like, um, then you you have different voices that come out of saltwater yeah. empire, and so maybe we can maybe we could hear a couple poems when we come back from the break, sure. and maybe talk about these characters or these voices, how you see them in your poems. Does that? That yeah, sound, sounds great. Sounds fair. Okay, you're listening to Living Writers today, Raymond McDaniel. Um, WCBN FM Ann Arbor is uh, on your radio or your computer. We'll be back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us today on Living Writers, Raymond McDaniel with his book, Saltwater Empire. Um, so, Ray, we were talking about um, the voice, the, vo- the, the um, hope and, um, and the, pe- the people who are inhabiting your poems. And, and it's, it's curious to me because it feels very character driven for a mm-hmm. book of poems. And so uh, what... Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, that obviously is intentional. These voices are coming through. Are some of the voices reoccurring? And how do you how do you picture these voices? Are they t- taking the, the shape of individual characters who you know in your mind, even if we're, as readers, not like introduced to them in a traditional fashion? Uh, that's that's a really smart question. Uh, I, in general, I resist writing autobiographically. Um, largely out of a sense, uh, it's it's kind of a consequence of having read a lot of poetry. Uh, you know, the more of it you read, the more you get to know the way other people's minds work in a very kind of lucid, direct sense. Here's what happened to me. Here's what I think. Uh, and the the value of that for me uh, just. I don't know. There was it was definitely a case of diminishing returns, uh, and so you know, and so when I sit down to write things, I do always have characters in my mind. Some of them are uh, actual persons. Uh, some of them are hybrids. Some of them are purely invented. I treat them all equally uh, because I'm interested in what that variety uh, affords me the opportunity to hear. And then record uh, in this uh, in this book. There uh, there are voices that uh, that are the voices of actual persons. And there's a sequence of poems called "Convention Centers of the New World," and they're all assembled from uh, oral histories taken by the volunteers for Alive and Truth, which is uh, the New Orleans Disaster Oral History and Memory Project. And is that is that available for people to? Is that something that's on, on on the web or? Yes, is that they do. Uh, they do have uh, many of uh, the reports archived. 
Did you? Uh, that's uh, that's aliveintruth.org. Did Did you talk? Did you go um, to New Orleans as like a research component of this ray as well? I didn't go as a research uh, component. I just went uh, as a citizen. As a yeah, and yeah, and just after to go, just to go back. Because you'd you'd been to New Orleans before, it's a it's, part of your yeah, southern spent, history. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's part of my prior landscape. And the, and so and so you returned after Katrina, and uh, to as not to okay, this is I'm going to use a, a terrible poetry word like as witness, you know, to 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 see for yourself or to what was your what was your impulse because you you had this you had begun this book it wasn't something that was um triggered by this disaster you were working on like a collection that was sort of rooted in this southern experience in my you know in my highly circumscribed uh experiences there yeah again things i'd heard and things i'd seen but then it became influenced by by the disaster, it gave it gave it a different well the shape central or? the central metaphor of uh, of the book when I started working on it, you know, when when I had a lot of it written was uh, was a flood, mm. uh, a you know a, a displacing storm, and uh, when Katrina happened, it just seemed perverse to continue with the book and not acknowledge the effect that it had, you know, uh, not only on something as trivial as my mind, but on the people and the places with which I was most familiar. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, so I didn't, I didn't go down there for a reason exactly. I just went because I had to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay, now going back to the the poems that you you, you mentioned throughout the book, um, there there's a series of poems, um, convention centers of the new world, um, but but they they come pretty early on. I think it might even be. Um, let's see. We start. I think maybe the first one is on page twenty-four, Ray. And I noticed when the second one came, I was surprised because I hadn't looked at the table of contents, obviously closely. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh well, why doesn't it say two? And then I was like, oh, there's a, th- uh, you know. And so it's interesting. Was it a very like just to talk about structure for a moment? Um, and then I want you to read one because I keep going back to talking about it instead of uh, actually um, getting getting some poems on the air. Um, but was that was that a, a, a long? poem that then you envisioned working better broken into pieces throughout the book and that's why it's not there's no numbers attached to the different resurfacing of convention centers of the new world there's uh there are no numbers because it's uh it's a collective document of a collective experience and there's you know there's a slight chronological component, and it it, it roughly uh, traces uh, people's reports of their prior experience and their context and their background, and then what they actually endured and what they think about what they've endured. Uh, Did it come to you as one piece that that you then broke, or was it? Was no, it I read uh, I read dozens and dozens of these things uh, and I started taking notes on the basis of certain phrases that uh, that reappeared uh, that, uh, that I, I what I, what I began to detect was that in those moments where you know in those moments uh, of storytelling 
when people found themselves particularly shocked or outraged or baffled, they would fall back on uh, uncertain familiar expressions. Um, uh, and those, the, I started recognizing those as kind of red flags in a way. What would can, um, what, is, what are some examples? Because I well, think of godlets that word. Because people's I didn't... invocation, uh, people's invocation of uh, of uh, um, uh, the word failure, um, uh, the uh, the way they uh, the way they talked about God when they actually cited the name of the city, the frequency with which they would talk uh, about the city as if it were uh, a coherent. A unit, a person itself. Mm. Um, those patterns of commonality struck me as really interesting, and then, uh, and then I went back and I started to assemble some of these fragments as they began to satellite or maybe accrete uh, around these, you know, these uh, points of commonality or consistency. It's it's interesting that you you point that out because also a place is such a piece of ourselves without us really even knowing it especially if it's a, if if the people haven't have lived there all their lives it becomes like it it's such a, a piece of who you are and if it's suddenly gone and in, and in that, how do you and get in back that place to it particularly yeah yeah uh, where there you know there are a lot of people uh, who were born there who never left you know uh, that's where their that's where their people are from and that's where they and their families plan on staying I mean, everyone is from somewhere, but you know, I uh, but <laughs> just to, you know to give a sublimely ridiculous example, uh, the degree to which someone would invest much of their identity in being an Ann Arborite. Well, you know what what an embarrassing thing that would be. Uh, not because there's anything conspicuously wrong with the community, but because it's just not big and old enough. Uh, to to justify that kind of emotional investment. Let's before I take us anywhere else with other questions. Let's um, let's hear a poem, and 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 this is a poem with the characters in mind, like the voice coming through strongly. Right, Ray? Is that this is one, one of the convention okay. centers of the New World? Okay. I'm not perfect. I try to be perfect, and what will keep me from panicking is understanding that I could pray. Whatever God want to hand me, he going to want to hand me. So that would keep me humble. But the devil do get a hold to me sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I'll go for like two or three months, and then I'll back away for like two or three months. That's not good at all, because as good as God has been to me, I need to serve him every day of the week. This had to happen. The hurricane had to happen. This was the way the Lord had to clean New Orleans up. Because the police could not stop the violence, the drugs, the murder, the robbing, the rape. The police couldn't stop it. So that was the way for the Lord to stop it. He wiped out what he wanted to wipe out. But far as myself, I think the Lord has given me nine chances. I don't have no more. I don't have no more chances with God. I could pray, but whatever God want to hand me, he's going to want to hand me. Thank you, Ray. That's it's it, um, it's interesting that that's the first poem that you you chose to read, um, too. Because uh, when I was thinking about cre- you creating ca- characters within this, or that or writing about 
uh, people or hybrids of, of, of um, living people. Um, this is like, that's exactly one of the quotes that I wrote down. It, hmm. I'm not perfect. <laughs> I try to be perfect. And what will keep one from panicking is understanding that I could pray. And I thought there was so much, so much, so so much, even in that, that cup, like how it appears as the, the couplet there with the, um, uh, with that voice, the I, so, so strong, of course, but then that idea of under, it's not even that I, that I'm praying, but that understanding that I could pray, like there's right. so many things going on <laughs> in that, which I just thought, wow, that's, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, you know that that poem in particular and that refrain in a lot of these testimonies was very difficult for me because of course you know I don't I don't agree with that I don't agree with it uh, I don't agree with it spiritually I don't agree with it religiously but I had to respect that that was a common response uh, that you know that uh, that for all the awfulness and the terror there were many people who believed that it was deserved. That was actually one of the disturbing moments for reading that poem because how I loved how it began with the the not panicking part. Like I thought, oh, this is going to be one that might even be more soothing within this <laughs> maelstrom. <laughs> but then I became increasingly disturbed because of the because it made me also think of the like hearing people talk about other um, uh, disasters like like the AIDS epidemic or where people make these statements like, well, it's meant to happen or or this is why we. We have wars, you know, overpopulation. Well, what's I mean, what's tricky in this case is that usually when you hear things like that, it's an outsider population uh, trying to excuse the the suffering of uh, of a population of which they aren't a part. It's very different when the population that is suffering makes that claim about itself. But then there's you know there's uh, a few pages later there's another convention center's poem that takes. Uh, you know that uh, that takes the exact opposite tack, and I heard that claim just as frequently, and often. Uh, and what's the claim? And often from the same from the same people. And, and what was the claim? Uh, that uh, that uh, this is a man-made disaster. That this is the fault of the of the leaders of the city, the wealthy. And this is uh, Raymond McDaniel, Saltwater Empire, his latest book. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'll be right back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM. And today we have Raymond McDaniel. Who's a big stick in the mud. (laughs) 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 He's a grim, moody, preaching, nasty man. Um, wow. Okay. Well, as you can tell, we don't edit living writers. Because <laughs> if we did, I, I'd edit that out. Because, um, Ray, this has been a 
a wonderful uh, conversation. So, um, so go on being however you, uh, however you are. <laughs> please, please do. So yes, again, listeners at home, would that you could see me sitting on my soapbox. My feet don't even reach the floor. Just swinging my legs back and forth. Wee! He's very tall. Anyway, okay, Saltwater Empire. Um, this is the book. You'll be reading at Shaman Drum this Saturday, March 8th, 7 p.m. Um, will you will you read us another poem now to give uh, listeners a chance to have a, a preview of sorts. Yeah, this uh, this is the last poem in the book, actually. Uh, it's called Transfix Ingredient. Uh, and yeah, I want to give a shout out to my mother, uh, because this poem in some ways explains or apologizes for uh, my cutting through the screen, uh, the window screen in my bedroom when I was a kid. They weren't keeping me prisoner. I could have just walked right out, but yeah. I always have to make my own exit. Transfix ingredient. This little jade claw undoes all. The flanks of the lizard flare, palette and shade its wizardry. Curl of chameleon green in the screen door's solder fix. Ozone scent sunk to wire tines. Signature animal. It's cold blood, done folding now. Thunder trills the reptile, those airs shared chameleon. Green god, green teeming, leaves also sheath. Throat swollen scarlet. White paint opened the door, cut away through this stray rain. Sprung open, each spring cut sound. Liar's library and boning knife color and kin, persistent, the world of grasses, of drown, our plundered underworld, salt water, our skin. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for reading that one. I really yeah, no, uh, no problem. It, um, it, it, I think it, for me it was evocative of childhood too, and, and really, I don't think I've ever heard one of the, the Florida lizards uh, uh, captured so well. Uh, I miss the lizards of Florida. Yeah, there was a there was a great war going on a couple of years ago. Uh, as it gets warmer and warmer, the uh, the Cuban lizards creep their way up to the north uh, and give the animals a hard time. Uh, so it's like seeing evil dinosaurs fight good dinosaurs in miniature. But I think uh, I think the animals are making a comeback. Oh, this is great. I almost feel like we're getting a little planet Earth here. <laughs> Tune in for Living Writers and, and a moment with planet Earth with uh, uh, Ray. <laughs> that's how I, uh, when I moved here, that's how I explained to people what Florida is like. They say, well, it's a very different place, right? And I'm like, yeah, there are things that are alive there. Yeah, and things that can get you, and very gentle things like manatees, too. Oh, manatees. I had, a student, I had a student once who tried to convince me that manatees didn't exist. The, what, why? What, I don't know. What uh, folly? Yeah, they, they, uh, <laughs> the folly. You deny the majesty of the manatee. The uh, sea cow. Yeah, they didn't believe that alligators or manatees were real. 
and I initially I was inclined to take offense, but then I remembered uh, uh, somebody asked me once what I did, and I said, oh, I'm a poet, and they burst out laughing, not because they were making fun of poets, even though that would have been justifiable, but because uh, they thought I was joking, because they assumed that poets were extinct. But no. <laughs> Much like... Poets, manatees, poets and, and alligators. <laughs> yeah, it foolishly, we just keep on keeping on. I love that. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, we, you know, uh, they lose they lose a couple of poets every year to speedboat accidents. But. <laughs> you can see our scars. That's how we're <laughs> yeah, identified. That's right. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, no more Florida insider manatee humor. Or Okay. Um, but it's interesting when you said the, the lizards, it seemed with the... Um, uh, the warming and the, the there's like a mini battle going on. That reminds me of your your other project that you're working on with the, the superhero collection. Yeah. Right. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I just you know I just promised my family that one day I'd write something that was funny, and I'm two books in, and yeah, nada. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the bookmarks. Uh, like, come on, uh, man, Neptune Beach like... needs some humor down here. So uh, in and uh, completely whimsical narcissistic fashion my third book is all based on uh the legion of superheroes which is the uh the longest running serial narrative of the 20th century it's uh it's a comic book about teenage superheroes in the 30th century and uh, it's come out once a month for 50 years now and are you are you a subscriber then or is that a too <laughs> obvious <Am> I, <laughs> a subscriber? With, uh, you know, we're uh, we're taping this on Wednesday. Uh, that means it's comic book day. I will be picking up comic books tonight, as I do every Wednesday and have for my entire life. And if I'm lucky, there will be a new issue of the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, I hope so. And yeah. why Wednesday? Why Wednesday for superheroes or comic books? I don't know. That's just when they. Uh, that's just when they ship. Oh really? So you're kind of yeah. getting there just as the new shipment arrives. Oh, what do you think I'm gonna? You think I'm gonna wait a day? Well, I thought it was just a ray ritual. I didn't know. Like uh, I thought. We... Uh, <laughs> no, every every Wednesday, this is the uh, the candy colored nostalgia that holds my brain together. And where do you pick up? Where do you get your fix? Vault of Midnight, the uh, the premier comic book shop of Southeast Michigan, it's courtesy a- of Curtis and Liz. Uh, a uh, a fabulously insane punk rock couple with uh, an amazing son and daughter. Every time I visit that store, I can't make my mind whether or not I want to act. Uh, which member of the family I want to be? <laughs> Do I want to be Curtis? No, it's it's Liz. No, it's their it's their son. It's Dana. I want to be Dana. No, it's their it's their crazy little girl, who once came to a, a superhero picnic. Uh, with <laughs> came to a superhero picnic with uh, a bunch of shells in her hair and her hair all brushed in one direction and introduced <laughs> herself as Tidal Wave. Oh, that's really great. I'll never make a child that good. But I'm lucky to know one. I know. Um, so so this is some and this is an ongoing project the the, the with the superheroes and uh, uh would you have any favorite like uh like favorite characters? Do you have any evil characters in it too, or are they all sort of? We're only looking at the her- heroic side of things. Or, you know, or? this is uh, this is a DC comic, and DC tends to be a little more uh, a little more simplistic in its morality. Uh, so, 
I'm interested in uh, in the heroes here because their 50 year narrative is now so recursively <laughs> complex. It's like the Talmud. Uh, but uh, I so, do I do have favorites. How are you working in that then, Ray? Because I was lucky enough to hear some at Crazy Wisdom, some of your poems about um, from this project. But so, how are, what are you actually doing with them? Like, what are you what are you illuminating about it? And well, I've got I've got a lot of monologues uh, that are written from the point of view of a character named Brainiac Five, um, and then I have a lot of poems that are. Uh, kind of hyperbolic retellings of epic moments in uh, the group's history. And then there are some poems that are almost kind of oral meditations on uh, on the powers and personalities of the characters themselves. I got to do a bunch of crazy things. Yeah, I, When I started it, I was doing it just to kind of, uh, it was in the very pit of self-indulgence. And then when I started reading them out loud, people just ate them up. And I was amazed. I was amazed. Like I worked really hard on these two books that have, you know, some some serious questions in them. Yeah, shut up, Ray Ray. Let's hear the ones uh, about uh, about Brainiac Five. So, so when is this? When's the third book coming out? What? Should uh, should be out twenty ten, maybe twenty eleven. Will that be with Coffee House Press? Is 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 uh, Coffee House still uh, still up in the air? So okay, but yeah. oh, but it's not, that's when it get well. We'll have to we'll have to do more radio then. Would you have other projects that you're working on, or are the or is this is the are the superheroes sort of like uh, absorbing all of your your brain power? For poems. My problem is that I could take any one of the books I've written and just keep on writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could spend I could spend a lifetime in any with, one of them. And with Saltwater Empire too, you feel that way. Oh yeah. 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 The yeah, where you're from never quite lets you go, does it? Like the South, like those. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty obvious traditional paradox. You, know, you can't uh, you can't re-inhabit it, but you also can't ever really get away. Mm. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I thought I thought a lot about getting away, um, but now, yeah, now not so much. Yeah, yeah I'm you know I'm happy to uh, uh, to have been to have it be a part of me, to be a part of uh, of what happened there. Mm. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Ray. Well, I know it was uh, it was a lot of trouble scheduling, so nah, uh, nah, nah. Yeah. And <laughs> and again, I I really wish people could see what I can see right now: uh, <laughs> the glorious blinds, the beautiful windows, the sunshine streaming in, all the electronics. Talk that up, Ray. <laughs> you should also know that the studio is filled with cats. God, that would be the death of me, I'm afraid. Um, okay, before we go, though, I'd like to just also say that um, uh, Lorna Goodison, she she um, she has, uh, you have a blurb of Lorna's on the back of Saltwater Empire. Lorna's the best. Lorna is, she's so lovely. <laughs> and she's also going to be at Shaman Drum coming up uh, March 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, so Lorna Goodison will be there, and that's with her... Her latest book, um, Lorna's internationally known as a poet, but now she's coming to us with a memoir from Harvey River, uh, a memoir of my mother and her island. It just won the 2008 BC Award for Canadian nonfiction. So it's a gorgeous book. Yeah, it's a gorgeous book. And Lorna, uh, Lorna also gave me my uh, all-time favorite compliment slash insult. What's oak? That what a perfect way to end. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I uh, spend almost all summer here walking around in the same uh, pair of uh, cut-off sweatpants. <laughs> I was upstairs in the English department doing uh, some, you know, some subordinate business, and she just saw me in the hallway and shook her head and said, "Rude boy." <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 Raymond McDaniel, his book, Saltwater Empire. You've been listening to the Living Writers uh, program. Thanks, Jesse Johnston, for engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. To his right, throwing in the end zone for Arrington. Caught. Touchdown, Michigan. Takes the snap, looking to throw near side. Now he's going to go far. Over the middle. He's got a man. Caught. Touchdown, Michigan. Adrian Arrington wide open in the back of the end zone. Over the middle. And Michigan marches right down the field. No problem. They have the lead again. It's 37-35. to 35. Four wide receivers. T-bone and shotgun. Moore lined up to his right. He's going to throw for it. Pressure coming. He's rolling to his left. Still looking, still looking. He's going, he's throwing down. He throws up a prayer. He's got a man, and it is incomplete. Michigan's going to win the 2008 Capital One Bowl as Lloyd Carr's last game as the University of Michigan head football coach. You're listening to the Daily Sports Report on WCBN 88.3 FM, your home for Michigan sports. And a pleasant good evening to you, everyone, and welcome inside the WCBN FM Ann Arbor studios for your Wednesday edition of the Daily Sports Report. I'm Jeremy Kreisberg alongside John Zacherdelli, Nick Tejeda, and Rob Solomon behind the glass. And speaking of Rob, he's got your Michigan news for today. The only Michigan news today, I guess we can look ahead to the schedule a little bit for the weekend. Obviously, outside of the Michigan football game, the men's soccer team is out in San Diego State this weekend. They'll play Friday in a tournament out there, and the first game is at 7 locally on Friday night. The field hockey team will play in a invitational at home against Stanford on Friday. Women's soccer team at home Friday night as well against Dayton. That game starts at 5.30. And obviously the bigger news is the Michigan football team. They're in action Saturday at noon against Miami of Ohio. They're favored by two touchdowns, 14, 14 and a half points. Miami coming off a 20-point loss to Vanderbilt. And most believe that Michigan will be able to get their first win of the year on Saturday. I guess the big question, obviously, is how big that improvement is from Game 1 to Game 2. And uh, I guess both Vegas and Michigan alike hopeful that Michigan can use that uh, first game under their belt to sort of piggyback to a win against a lesser opponent, obviously, Miami of Ohio. We'll have the broadcast on the WCBN Sports Stream, 12 o'clock, correct, Rob? Yeah, we'll probably be on a few minutes before that, but uh, kick off at 12 o'clock. It's still no indication, and we probably won't get any until game time, who will be the starting quarterback. We expect, I think we expect it'll be Stephen Threat on Saturday. And, of course, the uh, 
the rumor is that they'll both be in the game as they were last weekend, but I think that's definitely the sentiment that Stephen Threat will get at least uh, the beginning of the game and perhaps the majority of the snaps. And some of the walking wounded will be coming back, supposedly. Uh, I think maybe Tan- Terrence Tal- uh, Tans, uh, Robinson playing his first game, and uh, I think uh, Carlos Brown is recovering from that children's injury, and uh, Brandon Harrison and... Uh, who else was that? Um, Greg Matthews also. So we hope to have the full cast of characters on board this Saturday at the Big House for Miami of Ohio, Michigan 0-1 entering the game, of course, unranked. And so we uh, hope to see a better performance this weekend from Rich Rodriguez's crew. Is that it for Michigan, Rob? That's all for Michigan. Well, there we go. We have certainly a lot to talk about on the national side of things. We'll start it off for his first DSR of the 2008-2009 school year, John Zaccardelli. You want to kick us off on the national side? Yes, we'll start with the NFL. And I'm, today it's the, the good, the bad, bad, and the ugly. The Today, I guess, uh, Brett Favre was named captain of the Jets. Um, he was, he was. It's a good football team. I guess so. I'm not too surprised there. I mean, I, uh, good choice. I mean, who else were you going to really pick quarterback? Um, but I, he said it was a great honor to be picked as, you know, the captain for this year, or one of the captains. Um, on the bad side, um, last night, uh, Jags offensive tackle Richard Collier was shot and uh, by an unknown gunman outside a nightclub. Uh, so Jags having upcoming game... Uh, looking, you know, praying for their one of their players. And we definitely send our best wishes out to him and his family and the entire Jags organization. It's tough when a, when something like that happens cuz if you see an injury on the field, you can kind of judge how how bad it's going to how serious it could be and something like that, you can only wish for the best right now, so. There was uh, quite a few uh, players that made an appearance at the hospital, I guess, uh, this morning and last night. But uh and now for the ugly I guess I, if you're a Lions fan, you probably already know this story, but uh, Rooney Johnson, who just uh, got cut from Cincinnati and is trying out for the Lions, uh, I guess uh, his wallet was stolen by um, supposedly Tatum Bell. I actually, I heard it was his entire luggage. <laughs> well, the well, his whole luggage was stolen, but, but was when it was returned, yeah, returned, was missing a wallet with two hundred dollars and his credit card. Welcome to the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> How remarkable is that story, honestly? I mean, you couldn't have written it better than that. You know, the guy he's replacing who steals his luggage. And I mean, I almost have no words. I just, it's unbelievable, really. I but mean, uh, <laughs> I guess he's trying to get even. Rudy's trying to steal his luggage, meaning his carries. But it's. Oh. Supposedly, um, Tatum Bell said that he was supposed to. These luggage he thought were um, another player's luggage who just got cut, and he was just picking them up to you know, you know, give them to his girlfriend and you know just do a nice job. But uh, I guess he's on video, so it's still a little mucky about what what's happening there. So that happened. I. Uh, I also think. Um, also, we should maybe take time to look at the how, how the hurricanes affecting everyone in uh, New Orleans. You know, it's definitely unfortunate to see another natural disaster occurring but in positive news the saints have returned to the superdome and will play their super their season opener there on sunday which you know the, the saints they definitely have rallied new orleans in a positive manner and it's it's great to see them back in the superdome for for their home opener 
So that'll be, of course, this weekend. And, of course, the football season does kick off tomorrow night. It'll be the Giants and the Washington Redskins in an NFC East battle between maybe a team that some people are picking to win the NFC East in the Washington Redskins, given the rash of injuries that have hit the Giants. They've lost OCU Minura, perhaps leaning heavily on Justin Tuck this year. And, of course, they are your reigning Super Bowl uh, defending champions. So they'll be playing uh, to kick off the season on Thursday night. Uh, Nick, what do you got for us uh, aside from uh, aside from some football? Well, um, in the one sec, in the MLB today, we had a win by the Mets, which is huge in that NFC in the in the MLB East in the NL League. So that's great to see how that's going around. Yeah, um, so the, the Mets won that game by the score of nine to two today, and uh, it was less. a game that. Oh, keep going. Uh, a game that the Mets uh, scored six runs in the first inning. It was highlighted by a Ryan Church grand slam against Dave Bush. Oliver Perez picked up the win for the Mets. That was his tenth win of the season, and entering uh, the final. This is the final year of his contract, so he'll be a hot commodity, a Boris client in free agency uh, this coming winter. But Oliver Perez picks up win number ten, and so with that win, the Mets two and a half ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies. They play tonight against the Washington Nationals in Washington. That'll be Joe Blanton on the mound for the Phillies against Odalis Perez uh, for the Nationals. Uh, and, of course, the, the other game that happened in, in the NL, uh, or rather the other final in the NL, not as uh, big of a game. Florida beating Atlanta by the score of 5-3. to three. Actually, another game has since gone final. San Francisco defeated Colorado by the score of 9-2. to two. And one game that's ongoing, certainly with a lot of playoff implications, the St. Louis Cardinals lead the Arizona Diamondbacks by the score of 3 to nothing. Dodgers are currently a game and a half behind, and they will play later tonight against San Diego. And isn't that remarkable? The Los Angeles Dodgers had a game under 5 500 right now. They're a game and a half back, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And don't look now, folks, but the Colorado Rockies, who made that improbable run at the end of last year, now sit only five and a half out uh, off the pace in the NL West. Really remarkable how things have changed so quickly. So uh, look at those Dodgers, 69 and 70. And now the Rockies, only four games back of LA entering play tonight. So really anything could happen in the National League right now. The only thing that we think we know is that the Cubs are going to win the NL Central after Milwaukee just got swept by the Mets. They're now five games back, but the Cubs haven't helped their own cause at all this week. So the National League uh, certainly cluttered, to say the least, right now. And now the wild card with Milwaukee losing three games has begun to tighten just a little bit. Uh, St. Louis still five games back in Milwaukee, but Philly now creeping up just a little bit on the Brewers. The Mets are only a game and a half back of the Brewers right now for uh, that record, and the Phillies two and a half back in the Mets. They sit four games back of Milwaukee. So certainly anything could happen in the National League right now. It's looking like it's going to be a September much like 2007. And so certainly one that we're going to have to just uh, sit back and relax and wait for uh, to develop because you really just can't predict anything right now in that National League. And the Phillies four back and Milwaukee could be three and a half if they win tonight. And Phillies and Milwaukee play each other next weekend. The Phillies will play the Mets this weekend. Don't you get the feeling whoever comes out of that NL West, whether it's most likely the Arizona or the Dodgers, they're going to be a pain in the butt for teams to deal with in the playoffs. Remember St. Louis, when they got in with 83 wins a couple years ago, won the World Series, and L.A. with Manny Ramirez in the middle of that lineup, and they have some pitching at least, a decent bullpen, and Arizona with Harron and Webb at the top of their rotation are going to be tough to beat. So I think whoever comes out of that West is going to be a tough opponent, probably for the Cubs in the first round. 
Yeah, I think it's very true. And the Dodgers, I think, are a very underrated team in terms of talent right now. I've always been a big proponent of their young talent. I think James Loney is a very good player. Andre Ethier is a very good player. And Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp's an exceptional player. And then you have the pitching staff to go with it. Derek Lowe is a very dangerous pitcher. And I think Chad Billingsley might have the best stuff of all of the young guns that we commonly talk about in baseball. And, of course, we'll all talk about Heron and Webb. Randy Johnson's had a very good season as well. He might be the last 300-game winner we see. See, period. It's pretty amazing to think about. Uh, but Arizona's got three horses at the top of that rotation. I don't think anybody wants to play those two teams. The good news for the Mets and the Phillies is that it's looking more and more like they're going to play the winner of the wild card. And unless, of course, those one of those two teams wins the wild card. So perhaps Milwaukee, who may be slipping, and you never know about Ben Sheets' health, perhaps uh, either the Mets or Phil's will be playing uh, the Brewers. So the National League, uh, really unpredictable right now, certainly cluttered. The American League, with just a little more clarity uh, today, uh, the big games have begun to happen today. Uh, the Chicago White Sox picked up a win today against Cleveland. Boston beat Baltimore, and of course those two games uh, have a lot of importance. Texas did beat Seattle as well. But first, the importance of those two games. The White Sox and Twins were knotted up entering play today in the AL Central. So the White White Sox now a half game up on Minnesota. And as for Boston, they're now three and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in the midst of a three-game series against the New York Yankees, who did win last night. They'll send, uh, I believe it's Carl Pavano to the mound tonight. Really? Yeah, I think he actually uh, has the last two wins by a Yankee starter in the last 11 games. Something remarkable like that. I mean, the Yankees pretty much have to win about, what, 95% of their games. That yeah, I, I would say I that's right. About 10 behind Tampa. And they're 11 behind Tampa, and they play, of course, these next two days at the Trop, and you'd imagine they'd have to sweep this series to be in contention. It's looking like a real uphill battle, and, and in the past, you've always been able to say the Yankees might have a chance in these sort of series, but they don't have the pitching this year. Yeah, it's, it's definitely coming down to their rotation and their bullpen. I mean, Jabba Chamberlain was activated yesterday. It'll be interesting to see how he can come back and pitch in the, in the long stretch and maybe even if they make the playoffs, how he'll do there, how his health is. But I feel like it's almost too late for those Yankees, so we'll see how the rest yeah, of the season You can goes. never count out the Yankees until the last game of the season. I completely agree with that. Other relevant games tonight in Detroit, it'll be the Angels against the Tigers. John Garland goes against Zach Miner. Minnesota will be playing at the Rogers Center in Toronto. It'll be Nick Blackburn on the mound for the Twins against A.J. Burnett, another uh, free agent to be. And of course, the Yankees will be in Tampa Bay. It'll be Edwin Jackson on the mound for the Rays. And he has also had a quiet, very good season 11 and 8 with a 3.81 ERA. So a pitcher who struggled mightily coming up in the LA Dodgers organization has had uh, quite the turnaround year pitching for the Rays along with all of the other uh, young guns in that Tampa Bay staff. And the only other game tonight in the AL will be Oakland and Kansas City. Not much relevance there. That'll do it here for us tonight. So for Nick Tejeda, for John Zacherdelli, and for Rob Solomon, I'm Jeremy Kreisberg saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Good night, everyone. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports. 
88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. Broadcasting from the Republican National Convention in St. Paul, Minnesota, this is Free Speech Radio News. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of September, 2008. I'm out Abogado with Leanne Caldwell. On today's newscast, we'll continue our coverage of events both in and out of the Republican National Convention. We'll head to nearby Minneapolis and hear from Ron Paul's shadow convention. And we'll check in with New Orleans and the impact of Hurricane Gustav on small businesses trying to make ends meet. We'll also go to the headlines shortly. But first, Senator Joe Lieberman of Connecticut, former Democrat and one-time vice presidential nominee, praised Republican John McCain at the GOP convention. Lieberman became an independent after he lost his primary election race in 2006. He is close friends with McCain and has similar hawkish beliefs on foreign policy. Lieberman derided Democratic candidate Barack Obama. Senator Barack Obama is a gifted and eloquent young man who I think can do great things for our country in the years ahead. But my friends, eloquence is no substitute for a record, not in these tough times for America. We'll have more later in the newscast on tonight's featured speaker, Sarah Palin, as well as sounds from the streets. That after this news. I'm Shannon Young with the headlines. NATO helicopter gunships based in Afghanistan conducted a cross-border raid into Pakistan's tribal belt early this morning, killing what locals say was up to 20 civilians in multiple house raids. Afridai Afridi reports. The helicopter dropped NATO soldiers into at least three villages in South Waziristan to carry out a search operation for suspected Taliban insurgents. One eyewitness says the soldiers went inside of specific houses and shut those inside. Women and children are among the 20 people killed in the operation. 